And now for something completely different. Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning. Welcome to the show. Of course, it is 6.06 on this Monday as we kind of get the post, you know, weekend show going here. Of course, uh, you know, what? It all revolves around the weekend. It does. Yeah. It's, it's where it, it's like the universe. It's mm-hmm. where it starts. It's the nexus, right? Yes. It's where it starts and ends. Yes, <laughs> exactly. And and well done. Exactly. Uh, so anyway, as we get the, the show going, a few things to get into. Of course, over the weekend, um, you know, it's a lot of things kind of kind of starting to come to light here in terms of the Fed and Treasury and what's going on. Janet Yellen over the weekend saying, "Hey, a little bit of inflation might be a good thing." Now, of course, this is the same woman who was the chairman of the Federal Reserve and for years kept pressing for lower and lower rates of inflation and lower interest rates to help spur the markets and, you know, keep the economy going. And now that she's in the Treasury position supporting the president, it's like, hey, little inflation. Yeah, it's actually a good thing for the economy. And it depends. Uh, inflation's a fine thing for the economy as long as you have rising wages that outpace the rate of inflation. Otherwise, you get a suppression of activity as higher costs impact the ability of individuals to you know, really to endure and have that disposable income to continue to support their lifestyle. You know, it's interesting, of course, you know, over the last year, we had a lot of people getting checks. They were getting $1,400 checks, $900 checks, whatever it was. And of course, that gave them extra money to spend. And that liquidity helped them keep up with, you know, the, the rate of the economy and those type of things. Those stimulus payments are now gone, right? So those have now faded out. And we're now approaching the end of the unextended employment benefits as well. So those will start to go away starting this month. So actually in June and July, we'll have roughly about 4 million people roll off the rolls of being able to receive those continued claims. So now we're going to get what's called an income cliff. Um, which means that people will have less income to spend at a time where prices are going up. So while Janet Yellen may think that a little inflation is a good thing, she might be very surprised to find out what happens when a little inflation impacts really with a inability to spend and consume, particularly when we continue to look at the job situation where we are now. Yes, we are hiring people, putting people back to work, and but we are still about 10 million people short of just where we were at this time last year. So again, you know, we still have a a situation economically where incomes are being suppressed and the number of people, you know, working are less than they were before. Labor force participation rate remains very depressed from even where we were coming out of the Obama administration, which was even lower than where we were coming out of the Bush administration. So over the last really 20 years, we've had a declining rate of labor force participation and that's impacting the ability of the economy to grow, which is why, really, since 2000, we continue to kind of grind out this 2% annualized growth rate. Yes, we're going to have good economic growth this year, but once we get through these kind of the second quarter, heading into third quarter, those rates of economic growth are going to start to fall pretty quickly. 
and we'll head back towards that 2% growth rate. So that really brings into really a lot of the impacts about where we are market-wise as well as what's happening with the financial markets expectations. You know, one thing you always have to worry about is when you start seeing the, the financial media like CNBC start putting things in their ticker bug. And today, not only do we have the Dow, the S&P and the NASDAQ, we also have AMC. We're now putting AMC and GameStop are now the two single largest holdings. And get this, they are the two largest single holdings in the Russell 2000 value index. Uh, these are companies that are near bankruptcy as it is, but yes, they've been run up lately by, of course, all of these traders trying to push the stock up. They've done well with doing that kind of this gang effect. But this is not the first time we've seen that. Um, I posted out a, an article, uh, sorry, a tweet over the weekend showing the cover from Forbes in 1999 where it says, kids take on Wall Street. Same exact thing was happening back in 1999. We're seeing today with AMC and GameStop. You know, there's nothing, they say there's nothing new ever invented in the world. It's the same thing with the markets. There's nothing new ever invented. It just looks a little different this time around. That's what we're seeing here. And of course, this is starting to really impact things as, as we're going into the markets. Um, here's the funny thing about this. The people that run the Russell indexes, right? The Russell 2000, the Russell 1000. They said over the weekend that if AMC and GameStop can sustain their market capitalization rate, doesn't mean their business is getting any better, right? Just if they can keep their market cap where it is, they'll get moved from the Russell 2000 to the Russell 1000 large cap index. So there you go. Um, that's just kind of where we've gotten to in the world today. All right, but a couple of things here. Uh, we're gonna be looking very closely over the next few, really next few weeks. We're starting to start to get into that uh, phase of the year where Jackson Hole is coming up. That's the kind of the annual confab of economists from all over the world. The chairmen are of monetary policy. We'll all congregate in Jackson and hold to discuss what global monetary policy looks like that's going to really kind of be the tone setter for whether or not we're going to see taper uh, this year or next year whenever that's going to be but expect here over the course of the next really two months right june july august three months um we're going to start this here a little bit more about this idea potentially of taper and QE. And of course, that's slowing the rate of purchases of these bonds, still doing $120 billion a month or more. And a lot of that is in the mortgage bond market, about 40 billion of that comes into the mortgage bonds, which you've got housing prices, all time highs. So you, know, you kind of have to ask yourself exactly what are we doing here by continuing to suppress, you know, and support mortgage rates when housing prices are at all time highs, right? You're actually seeing a, a, a potential here where the cost of renting is now cheaper than the cost of buying. The last time that happened was back in 2005 and about two years later, and I'll have to remind you what happened with the housing market. So, you know, we're starting to create those, those dichotomies in markets where monetary stimulus is becoming really not beneficial but actually starting to become more destructive to economic prosperity. And of course, this is where the Fed's gonna run into to some trouble because they've gotten themselves into a trap of having to do quantitative easing and to support markets to keep everything else together. So if they take away QE and the markets decline, that erodes confidence, that impacts economic growth, and you're right back in the soup again. So the Fed has really gotten themselves into a trap where, again, trying to withdraw the stimulus and the support is now becoming much more difficult for the markets um, and, for, and for the economy overall. We're gonna talk some more about that this week though. 
But real quick here, uh, the S&P is just a hair's breadth from an all-time high. And again, not surprising. We had been talking about this money flow buy signal here for the last few weeks. Uh, that turned positive. We said when that turns positive, that'll give the markets the ability to try to, to make an attempt at all-time highs. Exactly what happened on Friday. Again, but participation remains fairly weak. Volume is not exciting here. Again, money flows themselves continue to really deteriorate here at a fairly sharp rate. And again, while we did see a little bit of a pickup on Friday in terms of activity. Again, not really an exciting push here in the market. So in other words, there's not just a giant amount of participation, liquidity, actual flows are, are starting to turn negative. And that suggests really this kind of this consolidation that we've been stuck in now for the last several months or the last couple of months anyway, is, is likely to continue here, particularly as we move into June and July. And again, as we talked about in this weekend's newsletter, this still has not abated the ability for the markets to have a 5% correction sometime this summer and that's still very much on the radar right now um, again money flow signals that were very oversold just a couple of weeks ago now back to very overbought conditions and in regards to the nasdaq which was the leader of this turn in fact the, the nasdaq actually turned the buy signal first that is now about to start to turn back into a negative sell signal. And again, the NASDAQ, nowhere near highs at this point. Again, the technology stocks really underperforming S&P at this point. Okay, quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk a little bit about small business. Here, the, the economy is reopening. People are getting back to work. What can small businesses do to you know, help incent workers to come back to work, get them off the sidelines, and get people back into activity? We'll talk about that with Tom Allen coming up right after the break. Don't go away. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at Real Invest investmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. And welcome back to the show, of course. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. And, uh, Tom Allen joining me this morning. We're going to talk a little bit about small businesses. You know, one of the things that, you know, that is really kind of headline news as of late is this whole issue that, well, you know, we can't get people back to work, right? I mean, it's just a, a problem right now to attract workers. And look, there's a, there's a lot of things that are feeding into that storyline, right? So first of all, you're paying people to stay at home and not want to work. Uh, an interesting story out in California right now, people are quitting their jobs because companies are saying you have to come back to the office. So, <laughs> so you know, the problem is, is that, yeah, great, you're gonna get another job, but you might want to be careful in this environment where, you know, potentially the job you may go get may not be as good as the one you had. And just because you had to go back to work, maybe that wasn't such a bad thing. But I mean, this is kind of where we are in, in, at, at the moment. So, you know, businesses are challenged on two fronts. One, theoretically, from what we hear from the headlines is, hey, it's a lack of employees, right? We don't have enough workers to come back to work at this point. Um, and we've got all these job openings. There's some, there's some, 
you know, data that suggests that maybe that's not quite as accurate of a picture, but let's just go with it for the moment because that's what businesses are facing. And the other side of this coin is, of course, is that if I've got to hire workers, who do I want to hire and how do I attract them? And, you know, one of the issues that always occurs coming out of a recession is that employers tend to hire people that are, A, first, already employed, and why is that? Well, I want to I want to steal workers from somebody else because they're obviously good enough to have kept their job during the entire downturn. So my first goal is to go hire the best workers I can find for my business. So I'm going to hire somebody that that held their job and I'm going to give them a better offer to come over and work for me now as the, as the economy recovers. When that runs out, then I start hiring people out of the quote-unquote labor pool, right? So people that are out of work, I start hiring those people next. That's just the cycle of how employment works. But in order to attract workers, particularly if I'm trying to attract a worker from somewhere else that's already employed, I'm going to have to offer them a better package. And the one thing that small businesses compete on is benefits in, in particular. So, I mean, salaries are pretty easy, right? I can just you know pay people more. That's great. But in the U.S., as really compared to a lot of other countries, one of the primary drivers that we have gotten into now is, well, great, you're going to pay me money. That's awesome. You're going to pay me a little more money. But what else are you going to give me? <laughs> right? So it's always the what else are you going to give me issue that uh, becomes a challenge for recruiting. And so I want to spend a few minutes uh, today, um, particularly for small business owners. You know, we're a small business, right? So we, we deal with these challenges, you know, every day in our business. How do we hire people? How to recruit people? Um, you know, that's always the challenge. And so, you know, as, as a small business owner, you know, it's, it's, you know, a challenge here to try to come up with those packages and some things that, you know, are available uh, to small businesses, you know, they overlook, they just assume they're too costly, right? Or they, they, they're too complicated, um, you know, and, and I can't, and really can't figure out how to implement them. So I just don't, right. I'm just more focused on my business. So, you know, those are some things I want to spend a few minutes today talking with Tom Allen about. Tom, welcome to the show. How are you? Thank you. Thank you for having me again. Good. Um, so, yeah, so, you know, here we are as, as we start kind of coming back to work. You know, when, when you start talking about providing benefit plans and 401ks and these type of things, um, what are some of the challenges that you see small businesses really kind of, you know, get involved with? I think you hit the nail on the head. It's just as a small business owner, you are wearing a hundred different hats and this can be very complicated. It's federally regulated in terms of offering health care, in terms of offering retirement. So it's like, I don't understand it. So I'm just not going to do it. So the great thing about um, the situation that we're in right now is that the last five to 10 years, we've seen a lot of uh, advancement in technology and costs come down in terms of offering benefits. Mm. I don't think that's getting all the way down to the business owner to where they can understand that, hey, I can actually implement this and afford this in my compensation packages. And on top of that, I think a lot of people are looking or valuing that part of their compensation even more now coming out of the pandemic. It's not just, hey, you're giving me cash. It's what else are you giving me? Healthcare, retirement, things like that. Mm -hmm. A lot more valuable to employees right now. Well, yeah. And, and, that, and you know, this is, it's kind of a, um, you know, really kind of two prongs to that as well. I mean, if, you know, it, it is, and from the employee side, it's like, great, you want me to come work for you? What are you going to give me? You know, from the, from the employer side, they're like, great, but this isn't, you know, this is one of the things that people, you know, kind of really misunderstand when they run around waving their arms about $15 hour minimum wage. It's not just the, the wage, right, for an employer. 
if it was just wages, okay, that's one thing. But it's not just wages. It's the personal time off. It's the vacation days. It's the healthcare benefits. It's the 401k plan. It's those are. It's providing you a place to work. You know, phone, computers, those type of things. There's about 30% additional cost every time I hire an employee. It costs me about 30% more than just the salary to employ that person. And this is one of the reasons why changes to corporate tax rates are very impactful to corporate activities because they have to layer those costs, now additional taxes on top of all these other employment costs. And those are really the top three costs for any, you know, two of the top three costs. If you take a look at any business, the, the top three costs for any business are employment, payroll, right? I mean, that's number one. Number two is taxes. Number three are government regulations. And so if you start changing any of those at the top line, that affects bottom line profitability and companies have to start making decisions to hire, not to hire those type of things. So, but, but this is one of the things with, you know, when specifically with 401k plans or SEP IRAs, you know, especially with small business owners, this is where it gets very complicated, very quick. Um, if you take a look at the number of small businesses, or take a look at the number of total businesses in the, excuse me, in the country, right? There's 30 million ish businesses registered in the country, all right? That's a lot. Out of 30 million businesses, only six actually have employees, six million. So where are all the other ones? Those are like family trust and all these other, you know, LLCs that are set up for personal assets, et cetera. So a lot of financial planning and estate planning stuff set up with LLCs. About six million of those businesses have employees. That includes the Amazons and the Apples and your next door neighbor hair salon, you know, those, all those, right? Six million of those, 30 million actually are businesses with employees. 80% of those have five or fewer employees. Now think about that for a moment. 80% of 6 million businesses have five or fewer employees. And this is where really a lot of, of business owners are challenged trying to provide benefits, trying to attract workers because of different, you know, it's, you know, I've got highly compensated executive problems. I've got all these other things. So how does a, how does a small business with five or 10 employees approach thinking about providing benefits? I think the, the first question to ask is uh, know what you don't know and be able to find somebody who does know the answer for mm -hmm. you. So, I mean, I think what we're doing here at RA Advisors is incredible only because um, we're really trying to get our voice out there to say, hey, here are your solutions, give you an independent, unbiased review of what you're trying to do. I think there's a lot of different firms out there that are, that are gonna be implementing that in the future as well. I think the big question to ask is, get your pulse on what your employees are actually valuing. If it's, if it's more on the healthcare side, and like you said, it, it costs about 30% more than wages just to hire an employee. Take a look at that entire bucket that you've budgeted for your labor and see which areas you wanna emphasize, whether it's healthcare, whether it's 401k, and then be able to find an independent somebody who's not tied to a healthcare broker or a, a 401k solution that's gonna be able to give you the answer that you need. Well, and, and again, so when we get down to some of the uh, kind of the specifics, and one thing I'll, you know, maybe after the break too, we can kind of get into this a little bit more, but um, you know, how do, I, how do I start evaluating whether or not I wanna do a 401k plan or SEP IRAs or, I mean, what are, what are some of those choices that I need to be thinking about when I approach this? Because again, you know, if you talk to some people, they go, man, 401k sounds great, but there's third-party administrators, mm -hmm. there's this, there's, it's, just, it's just too much. I mean, where do I even start with that? I think the goal is to start with what are you what's the goal of what you're trying to offer? Is it tax savings for yourself as a business owner? Is it really to attract and retain key talent? Yes. And if that is the case yes. and you have a diverse, <laughs> and, if, and if you have a diverse workforce and yeah. you have multiple goals, um, 
good way to start is thinking that a 401k is going to give you the most amount of flexibility within whatever it is that you're trying to offer. If you have a very simplistic scenario of, let's say that it's just you, maybe a spouse, maybe a couple of employees, you can start to look outside of a 401k and just keep it simple with other, with a SEP or simple, depending on what your savings goal is as a business right. owner. Well, and again, this, and then the other problem, of course, is then getting employees to actually contribute. You know, one of the biggest challenges that I think, and this really kind of goes across the board. I mean, if we just look at statistics, um, you know, if you take a look at 401k plans across the country, um, out of all the out of all the companies that offer 401k plans, about only 50, only fifty percent of businesses actually offer a 401k plan, right, or retirement plan, right. So, first of all, there's this kind of myth that everybody's saving in a 401k plan. They're not. Because most people don't, a big chunk of people don't even have access to a plan. But out of the 50% of the people actually have access to a plan, only 50% of those actually contribute at all, period, right? So that's only 25% of the population, which explains why 80% of, of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck and have no money in savings for retirement, right? We, we know those financial stats. And, but that's a big challenge, right? I, I put this whole plan together, and then the employees go, well, I can't really afford to contribute. Or I don't want to because I don't have a financial budget at home. I mean, how do you even start, you know, getting them involved as well? It's a great question. And, and for somebody who, who does radio and TV, <laughs> I'm sure you appreciate the value of communication. Uh, I think a lot of times these, these plans are rolled out and there's no real communication about what are we trying to accomplish? What's this going to offer you the, the power of compound interest over time and looking within your budget to say, hey, if you're not solving this problem financially right now, it's going to be a bigger headache for you 20, mm -hmm. 30 years from now. Having someone proactively have that conversation independent plan advisor working in conjunction with the business owner or human resources can really get a com good communication strategy out there to say, hey, this is in your best interest. And there are a lot of creative ways that you can implement that. Well, and, and again, that's kind of always one of the big challenges, just communication. I mean, uh, you know, just for instance, a lot of people don't even realize that you can contribute to a 401k. So again, your 401k contributions come out pre-tax, right? So that's money that you earn. And it goes into your 401k plan right off the top of your paycheck before you pay taxes. So it lowers your tax base that you're paying. And what people don't really even realize that in a lot of cases, you can contribute money to your 401k plan and take home the same amount of money you were taking home before because you're just paying less in taxes. Correct. So again, it's just lack of communication and education. A lot of like, matters. And, and, and I know for some, there's some businesses where we're talking hundreds, thousands of employees, it's tough to roll out a good communication strategy. You really need an all hands on deck team helping you push that message and everyone's on the same page. Right. Uh, when we come back, I want to get into some of the, the specific details on a 401k plan and kind of some of the, the, the traps and pitfalls. If I'm thinking about doing it or have been thinking about it, where are some of the tricks, you know, kind of tricks and traps going to pay, pay attention for? We'll come back with Tom Allen right after the break from RA Advisors. Of course, uh, as always, get by the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. If you have questions for Tom, just simply click the Ask a Question button. He's more than happy to help you out. And I'll uh, we'll be right back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts. The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th new realinvestmentadvice.com you're listening to the real investment show
Welcome back to the show this morning. 633, Tom Allen from RA Advisors joining me this morning. Talking a little bit about 401k plans and, of course, small businesses, getting small businesses back to work. That's really kind of the the key driver here uh, for the economy as we try to get the economy back reopened. And, of course, you know, daily headlines are about, you know, record number of job openings. But let's be honest here, right? We've had record job openings uh, just about every month since Obama was in office. <laughs> so, you know, we, we've had this, uh, you know, as we got through the end of the Obama administration, we're having record job openings. And we had this, we were having this conversation during the Obama administration. Can't find people to work, right? Uh, problem filing skilled workers was a problem during the Obama administration. Continued during the Trump administration. Uh, eased up a bit during the 2020 shutdown as we laid, you know, 16 million people off of work. Not surprising. And now we're back to having record job openings, right? What are the complaints of business owners? Can't find skilled workers, can't find workers, can't find, you know, th- those those same problems we've had here have not changed. And, and there's more. This isn't just a function of, you know, people sitting at home not wanting to come back to work. That's part of it right now um, because they're being paid a lot to stay at home and they don't want to come back to work, right? Um, true story. Um my uh, the company my wife works for they were trying to hire an employee they actually interviewed this uh, this lady and offered her a job said we'd love you to start she goes I can't start till September and they go why not well that's when my benefits run out um, but I mean that's just where kind of we are in the cycle and that's one of the knockoff effects but this 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 problem of finding skilled workers and finding workers period has been around for a while this is not a new thing. But one of the things that this all comes down to ultimately is, as we were talking about just for the break, is, you know, providing those additional benefits and incentives for people to come to work. And now, you know, the conversation is never now just about salary. It's always about salary plus what else you're offering, what your benefit package look like. And that's a big part of compensation consideration of small businesses, particularly when they're trying to hire somebody, because those are those are a big cost. And it's one of those things that a lot of business owners, they say, well, I just can't afford to offer that. And then, and again, just as we were talking about coming out of the break, um, you know, 50% of businesses don't even offer a 401k plan. But uh, Tom's here to help us kind of work through some of the, the, you know, kind of the tricks and traps of offering a 401k or a benefit package like this to your employees uh, to try to attract and retain those workers. And again, it's not just attracting workers, right? Retention is also a big thing. It costs a lot to hire somebody, get them on board, you know, get them trained, get them going just for them to turn around and leave and take a job somewhere else, right? You don't want to be that pit stop on the way to the next job, right? So you want to, to offer a situation, not only just a work environment that's conducive to retaining employees, but also providing the benefits that they're looking for to keep them with you and, and build that loyalty over time. So Tom, um, just for the break, talk a little bit about some of the kind of more generic overarching things about 401k plans and, and benefit packages. But what are some of the, the, when you sit down and talk to a business owner about setting up a 401k plan and, and starting to, to put this process in place, what are some of the initial kind of tricks and traps that, you know, you try to make them aware of that they, they need to be paying attention to? Yeah, I think first and foremost, it's just a, to educate plan sponsors on all the different moving pieces of a 401k and and all the different parties that are involved so they just have a firm understanding of who's playing what role in their 401k plan and where they can really focus on adding value the second thing i usually like to understand is their company demographics so how many employees are we talking about what's the average age Um, what's the the typical salary range how many people are considered highly compensated so making you know more than one hundred forty thousand dollars a year how many are are non-highly compensated in the next 
starts to give me an idea of what how I'm going to start building these plans because number one, if we're talking about a thousand employees and uh, they're all out on out in the field and we have a limited amount of time to be able to educate them, we start to look at plan features that might that may automate some things for you. Um, I also try to get an understanding of internal controls within the company. So who's going to be the person in charge of the 401k plan? How overwhelmed is their day in any given day? How many different hats are they wearing? And that kind of gives me an idea of where we're going to run into potential issues from an administration side of how do I submit payroll? How does I get there on time? If we need to look for something where what are called 360 integrations where all of that's automated, it's gonna come at a cost, but if it solves the problem of an overwhelmed admin person, that's a cost worth bearing. Mm -hmm. Right, and yep. again, that's and it's kind of that cost trade-off in a lot yep. of cases. Is it is it cheaper to do that than hire somebody else just to run the, the compensation Correct. plan? Correct. But you know, especially you know when you're talking about you know companies with a thousand employees, that's mm -hmm. one thing. But when you're talking about companies with you know 500 or less, right? Um, again, going back to our stats of small businesses, you, you start taking a look at how many companies make up out of the six million businesses that are are actually have you know five or more employees. A big chunk of those, about eighty percent of those, have fewer than five hundred employees. You know, when you talk about the apples of the world or the the you know the the Amazons, etc. Um, you know, companies that have kind of those massive footprints. That's ten thousand. That's roughly about ten thousand companies out of six million, right? So it's a very small. Even though they have a lot of employees, it's a very small number. A, a big chunk of your of your employment actually comes from these businesses that are five hundred or fewer in terms of employees. And and you know, those are some of the problems where they really run into those issues of. You know, I you know I don't even know how to get started here, and I've only, it's, it's me and and Brent and four other people. How do we do this, right? Yeah, no. So if step number one is just to sit down and get an understanding of between the small group, wh what's the focus here? If it's hey, I'm a business owner and I'm looking for tax deductions, okay. Then let's talk about a plan design where you can do what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Employees can be able to participate. We can set up automatic features if necessary, but it's more of how do we design something so that from a tax deduction standpoint, it's actually a net benefit to the business owner, and, not a net cost. And how is that? In terms of how do you do it? No, no. In terms of you know, some of the things maybe people understand is they look at the 401k plan as a, you know, something I've got to pay out, but they don't realize there's actually tax benefits to that. Correct. So any dollar that the employer puts in on behalf of themselves or participants, that is tax deductible to the business owner. So at the end of the day, when it comes down to how much is this actually going to end up costing me net tax? Sometimes, especially with some of the different solutions that are out there right now, we're talking maybe a few hundred dollars. That's not including some of the tax credits that you can get from the government just by setting up this plan. And for the first three years of the plan, you can get a minimum of $500 uh, in tax credits. So actual tax credit, not above line deduction, um, in benefit to you that's coming back to you. So at the end of the day, we're talking maybe a couple hundred bucks in order to run like a 401k plan for a small business owner at the end of the day. Wow. Well, again, I, th again, I think a lot of people just don't, don't realize that. Now there's a, one of the problems that, you know, I guess, you know, that, so, you know, some businesses run into is they, they run into this problem where you've got two or three executives that are highly compensated and you've got a lot of non-highly compensated employees. You know, restaurant, this this really kind of falls in the category of restaurants, um, you know, small manufacturing companies, those type of things. And, and they run into problems where, you know, the issue is, is that as a highly compensated executive, if I don't have a lot of participation in my plan, then I can't contribute to it. How do you, how do you start working around? And that's, that's one of the, the frustrations that a lot of business owners have is like, great, I'd love to set one up, but 
my employees won't contribute to it. So that means I can't contribute to it because they don't. And it's kind of a big, <laughs> a big boondoggle. Uh, how do you start solving some of those problems or what can you do about it? So step number one is to implement what's called a safe harbor 401k plan. And basically think of safe harbor as a get out of jail free card. So two different things that you have two options in terms of what you can offer. Number one is just to give all of your employees 3% of their compensation, regardless of if they contribute or not. The other thing that you can do is a dollar for dollar match up to 4%. And that works really well for those companies where they don't think they're going to get a whole lot of participation because the fact that you offered it, you as the a highly compensated employee, as Lance referenced, can do whatever you want within the plan. And now, you let, don't, let, me, like, let me clarify that sure. real quick, just so everybody understands what you just said, is that all you have to do is offer it. I, I just offer a dollar-for-dollar dollar match up to 4% of whatever the employee contributes. That doesn't mean the employee has to contribute anything. I'm still, I'm still covered under that structure. That's 100% correct. So usually when I'm talking to business owners and we're having these conversations about, okay, well, tell me about your employees. Do you think they're going to contribute or not? But I still have this overall savings goal for me as the business owner. Dollar for dollar match up to 4% works incredibly well. Once we extend beyond the conversation of 401k and start talking about profit sharing, where you can get your contributions up to $58,000 per year per participant, then we start to talk about that 3% uh, safe harbor non-elective because it's a lot easier to fund the profit sharing side of the equation. So I know that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. <laughs> that was a lot. But the 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 in other words, to, though, make it simple. There's some really good ways to save a lot of money. There is. There's a lot more uh, resources out there, and this, this is what I have during my consultations. Is there's a lot more that you can do as a business owner where it's, it can become incredibly affordable for you to be able to do one of these plans. There you go. Um, you know, kind of. You know, we're gonna come back from the break here in just a minute, but I, I want to talk. I want to switch gears on you just a little bit and talk about 401k plan offerings. Um, you know, and this is interesting because government regulations have now, you know, put into place that only certain types of funds can be offered and in, in order to keep businesses out of trouble, right? Um, you have to kind of offer certain types of funds and they have to have certain requirements. Mm -hmm. But that also eliminates a lot of really good choices that might be out there. And I kind of wanted to talk about a little bit about is that really such a good thing um, or is it really kind of limiting you know, some factors as well. So we'll come back from the break in just a second. We'll pick up with Tom on that. Uh, but if you have any questions, like I said, get by the website. We actually have a new article on our website this morning uh, talking about is the economic boom already priced into the markets. But if you have a question for Tom, uh, just simply click on the ask a question button and email, and I'll be more than happy to get it to him and he'll be happy to answer it to you. So if you've got a question about, you know, your 401k plan, need help with it. In fact, we've got a whole new resource in development right now for our website that'll be uh, coming out very soon. Uh, on retirement plans where you can manage your own plan, have us manage it for you, or even set up your own 401k plan. We'll have all that information for you in one spot uh, to help you figure all this out better. Be right back after the break. I'm your host, Lance Roberts with Tom Allen. Don't go away. Seven years of bad 
You're listening to The Real Investment Show. You could be one of the 7 in 10 people requiring long-term care in your lifetime. Are you prepared for nursing home care costs averaging more than $7,600 a month? Our next virtual lunch and learn will cover the management of long-term care expenses that could make or break your retirement. Join Richard Rosso and Danny Ratliff for the basics of long-term care. Long-term care. Register at realinvestmentadvice.com for our virtual lunch and learn on long-term care. June 24th at noon. Realinvestmentadvice.com. The Real Investment Show. A modern day warrior, mean, mean, try to take some soil, mean, mean, And welcome back to the show this morning. Uh, spent a few minutes today with uh, Tom Allen talking a little bit about 401k plans, something we don't touch on a whole lot, but it's one of those kind of the you know kind of the drivers of small business and small businesses are you know looking right now to compete to hire employees to get people back to work and you know benefits are a big part of that decision process particularly when people are coming you know from either another company where companies tend to hire from first or even coming out of being unemployed going back you know looking for those additional benefits um but one you know one of the the, the you know issues is of course is that you know, when 401ks were first developed, um, you know, it was it was kind of this, you know, advantage to companies to take advantage of uh, kind of a tax loophole that, that existed at the time. And, you know, that's developed over time. And then, of course, after the dot-com bust and then after the, you know, and this always happens, by the way, whenever something completely falls apart in the market, that's when we decide that we need to add more regulation to something. Um, but after the, the dot-com bust and then, of course, after the financial crisis, we kept adding more and more regulations to 401k plans. And what's interesting now is, is that companies are now saddled with the liability uh, for 401k plans. So it's not so while there's a tremendous amount of benefits, I don't want to, you know, take away from that a tremendous amount of benefits for a company to offer a 401k plan um you know one of the things is is that they also adopted liability right so if they're if you put choices in your 401k plan and they crash by half and you know your employees lose money then the the company's open subject to some liability so we've change the rules, uh, so to speak, um, to where companies can only offer certain types of, of funds in their plans, right? So, you know, some of the criteria, you know, so for 401k plan administrators, what are some of the criteria for offering funds now? Yeah, so in general, the, the guidance is very basic. You have to offer a minimum of three different offerings that are uncorrelated. So technically, that could be stock bond cash if you wanted to keep it as simple as possible. What you end up seeing in, inside of a 401k plan is depending on who is the record keeper for the plan, they end up loading up a bunch of their own proprietary products in there in order to be compensated accordingly. So. What, what you're actually looking to do is being able to offer a broad range of funds that cover a few different asset classes. And now they have things like target date funds, Lance, you and I can get into whether or not there's the benefits <laughs> of those, but there's a few different options. And now even as investment professionals ourselves, we offer model portfolios within our 401k plans that are professionally managed. So now you have your employees getting access to um, professionally managed portfolios that they probably couldn't do on the private wealth side. Right. Um, you know, one thing you don't see a lot of though yet is, or, and what you see a lot of in 401k plan lineups today is, you know, Vanguard, Fidelity, kind of the big funds and, you know, kind of the, the requirements are, you know, got to provide a low cost fund you've got to provide one with you know 
tenure track record, those type of things, which is all fine and dandy. But that also eliminates, you know, the ability to offer, uh, you know, kind of funds that may be a little bit off the radar. They may be great funds and have great fund managers, but because they're smaller funds or they're kind of not on kind of the mainstream playing field, they kind of get eliminated, you know, from 401k plans. You also don't see a lot of ETF offerings. Um, Is that going to change, you think? I do. I think a lot of the issue with ETFs comes down to actually the technology side, but I believe that we're going to see it being incorporated into plans more and more, uh, more and more often, just because they're great low-cost offerings that give you access to a wide variety of different indexes or asset classes that you can't get in the traditional mutual fund universe. So, and, and again, as you were talking about uh, a second ago, one of the other things with 401k plans, you know, now is is, is uh, and I wish the government would stop doing this is we keep allowing, trying to figure out more ways to allow people to tap their 401ks early, right? It's like, hey, you know, we're gonna give you the ability to take money out pre-55 because you've had a hardship or whatever. Um, you know, those that really actually winds up hurting employees longer term. 100% correct. So it, it's one of those delayed gratifications that most people just say, well, look, the money's there, I can get access to it. Here's Here's the interesting thing. Outside of something like a pandemic or like COVID, you as the plan sponsor actually have some control over what types of features are actually going to be allowed in the plan. So, for example, hardship distributions outside of a pandemic or COVID, you could actually disallow that for be even existing in your plan. Same thing with loans. Mm-hmm. You don't have to offer it if you don't want to. So you have some control. And my goal as, a, as an advisor is to be able to educate plan sponsors on the benefits of it. Yeah. And let, let's talk about 401k loans real quick since yeah. you brought it up, right? Terrible idea. Don't do it. And here's why. Here's the reason that people always give me, right? It's like, well, I borrow from my 401k plan, right? Because it has a low interest rate. Okay, that's true. Here's how it works. You take money out that you paid in pre-tax, right? You had no taxes taken out of that dollar that you put into your 401k plan. So now you borrow it. So now that you borrowed it, when you pay it back, you're paying it back with after-tax dollars. So... <laughs> You're actually diluting your benefit on the entire time that you have it on out. So your actual cost of that money, even though the interest rate may be lower, is dramatically higher than going to borrow it from the bank or going borrow it from Tom. Tom will loan it to you cheap, 10% a year. He got you covered. But yeah, you know, it's it's actually dramatically higher. It's a, and and plus you're diluting the whole benefit. You know, borrowing against your 401k plan is is you know, diluting the whole benefit of actually having these tax-deferred assets grow tax-deferred into retirement. Those monies are supposed to be there so you don't mess with them. And that way, if you mess up everything else in your life financially, which 80% of the population does, you at least have that to retire on. Lance, that's correct. And, and a lot of times when I'm looking at a brand or a, a plan that exists, I'll actually, they have to disclose what the overall loan amount is relative to aggregate assets. And that gives me a pretty good indication of what's the conversations that we're having with, with employees. Because if the balance is pretty high, to my understanding is there's not a whole lot of financial education going on inside that company. Right. Yeah. And that's one thing that, that you know, really kind of, this is kind of the sad note about 401k plans. And I think that, you know, this is one thing you work on a whole lot with the companies that you work with is that communication education side. In a lot of cases, you know, the 401k plan gets set up. There's an advisor out there for that 401k plan. But as soon as it's set up, then the employees never hear from anybody ever again. Right. They're just kind of out there on your own, which is why we provide a 401k plan manager every week in our newsletter, which is one of our more popular features, because that's the only resource that a lot of people have 
to actually manage their 401k plan. That's correct. And going back to our previous segment, when I sit down with plan sponsors, I like to educate them on all the moving parties involved in a 401k plan. Because to your point, Lance, a lot of times it's sold by a wholesaler that represents Fidelity, represents Vanguard, but their job isn't to educate and to be an actual advisor. Their job is to collect commissions and sell their product. So right. it's good to know that differentiation. And us as independent fiduciaries that can help with in that regard, our job is to educate and to Lance's point, provide enough resources so that employees feel like they're being taken care of. So good stuff, right? I mean, look, this is this is just going to be a challenge for, you know, everybody kind of going back. And, and, and let's go back to the, the basis conversation, which is, you know, trying to set businesses up to succeed. And, you know, I'm a big I'm a big you know, supporter of capitalism, right? I mean, we've had these conversations on the show before. You know, there's there's a lot of, you know, hate against capitalism right now and in the economy and in the media is, you know, capitalism sucks. We need more socialism. It's not capitalism that sucks. Capitalism is awesome, right? Capitalism is what built this country. And capitalism is also why the U.S. is is not just, you know, a little bit wealthier than the rest of the world. It's head and shoulders above everybody else in the rest of the world in terms of wealth, right? And wealth creation. Corporatism sucks. And we have a lot of that problem that's going on in the economy right now. And that's been fostered by a lot of these government interventions, by the Fed bailing out companies left and right, not allowing the Darwinistic capacity of capitalism to actually function. Capitalism is brutal. Um, you know, the strong survive, the weak perish. That's the way capitalism works, and it makes it more a more efficient system. Um, we've disallowed that from happening through st- and allowing stock buybacks and all these other things have created this corporatism in the economy. But capitalism itself is, is great. And, and if you if you really want to build wealth and you take a look at the number of people that have wealth, the majority of those either inherited it from their parents um, who are business owners or they're business owners themselves. If you're working for somebody else, you're limited in, in how much money you're going to make. There's a cap to how much money you're going to make working for somebody else. But you, if you take the risk and you're willing to do that, the ability to build wealth through capitalism today, even today, even with all this other nonsense that's going on in the country, capitalism is still the way to build your wealth in the economy. And and what you can do is is take advantage of some of these other things to help enhance that wealth, right? You know, offering benefits, building that structure inside of your company that provides the right environment, the right culture, that gets people working together, unifies people, puts everybody on the same direction moving forward. You know, you have those goals that you set out as a company, everybody's behind it. You know, this weekend, we all were remembering D-Day. Um, and of course, the the amount of, of commitment and sacrifice that was made to secure the freedoms that we seem to take for granted now <laughs> in the country. But, you know, men sacrificed, you know, the ultimate thing, right, to secure that freedom that we have in the country today. But, you know, you take a look at the commitment and and the, the, the will that it took to succeed, you know, in that battle and in those those subsequent battles as well to win the war. You know, it's the same thing that that everyday business owners face, right? It's a war every day. And if you're going to win, it requires a team. It requires unification. It requires all those things to, to win on a regular basis. And companies can do it, but a lot of times they need help. They need the right information. And that's hard to come by in today's economy and in today's environment, really, in a lot of cases. So there's so many things to hurdle, so many things to get over with. And that's why having experts like Tom uh, certainly helps make that a bit easier. So 
um, you know, it's a it's a good resource. And again, if you need uh, need some help, be sure and reach out on our website, uh, realinvestmentadvice.com. Just click the Ask a Question button. Tom will be happy to help you with whatever you need and uh, get you set up. So, um, all right, that wraps up the show today. Tom, thank you so much. Thanks for having we me. We appreciate you. Um, as always, of course, uh, get by our website. We have our latest article out this morning talking about, is the economic boom already priced in? Um, it's an interesting question, right? We've had this huge reopening. The markets are near record highs, you know, just flirting with that right now at record highs. But have we already priced in the best of the best, right? We cover that in today's article on the website, realinvestmentadvice.com. Our latest newsletter is out as well. Just click the newsletter link. We covered our recent portfolio positioning, what we're doing with the markets and what we expect next. That was in our newsletter this weekend. You subscribe at the website, absolutely free. And in there also, you'll find that 401k plan manager we were talking about. It's on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Have a great day. See you back here tomorrow. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet. Sign up for the Real Investment Report now at realinvestmentadvice.com. It's a rich man's world.